And turn with your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. And you can tell this morning we are making progress in our study in Ephesians. We're to the end of another chapter, chapter 5. We're going to conclude that chapter today. Really concluding a three-part series, if you will, on the home and family. We began with verse 22. Picking up this morning in verse 28, reading through verse 33. This is God's Word. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, Each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Again, that is God's word. Pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for every part of it. We know that some of it comes at us like a a sledgehammer. We know that sometimes it comes at us as as a sword. Sometimes it comes at us as a prod to push us. Sometimes it comes as a comfort to help us. Sometimes it comes as a light to direct us. Father, may it be all of that to us today. We pray that you would give us grace now as we turn our attention to this part of your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in a section of Ephesians, I believe, where the, the Holy Spirit, or where the Apostle Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit. What that means and how it applies to different areas of life. As I said, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 kind of hangs together. This is our third sermon on this one subject. And here I believe Paul is applying what it is to be filled with the Spirit to the home and to the family. That's why I've given these sermons the titles I gave them. The first sermon was entitled, The Spirit-Filled Wife. The last sermon and this sermon is two parts of one sermon, if you will. It's the Spirit-filled husband. The real question is, what does a Spirit-filled wife or a Spirit-filled husband look like? How can you identify someone who's filled with the Spirit? How do they function differently from someone who's not filled with the Holy Spirit? We saw in that first sermon that the Spirit-filled wife, we looked at Verses 22 through 24, then. 
The spirit-filled wife submits to her husband as the church submits herself to Christ. What we mean by that is it's as the, as, as the wife submits herself to Christ, then and really only then she's able properly to submit herself to her husband. And so she submits herself to her husband as to the Lord, the text says. The pattern for the wife is the church. As the church submits itself to Christ, so she submits herself to her husband. And then we saw from verses 25 through 27 last time that the Spirit-filled husband also has a pattern to follow. And his pattern is to follow the example of Christ to the church. You see how it fits? The, 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 the wife submits the pattern or follows the pattern of the church to Christ the husband of Christ to the church. And the Bible says that Christ loved the church and He gave Himself for her. And so the husband is to love his wife with a sacrificial love, to love her sacrificially. I said then that perhaps the best definition of, of love of the husband for a wife is to give, give, and then give some more. And so the Husband follows that pattern of giving, of sacrificing for his wife. But we're told also in that passage that Christ has a deep desire for his church. And that is that she would be holy and blameless. And one day he himself would be able to present his bride, the church, in all her glory before the throne of grace. And so one of the main desires of a husband is the sanctification of his wife to make her holy so that one day he too might present to Christ his bride as a pure and holy bride. Well, that brings us to our text this morning where we find more about the spirit-filled husband. Sorry, guys, you get two. Well, I've only got one. That last time it's because... The role of the husband in the family is so crucial. It's so vital. Like you want to talk about the social dilemmas in our country. Look at the home. Look at the fathers. It's not complicated people. We've allowed the home to disintegrate. And we're suffering the dire consequences of what the Bible so clearly warns us against. Three additional things here to characterize a husband who's filled with the Spirit, who's walking in the Spirit. And the first is that a Spirit-filled husband loves his wife as he loves himself. It's interesting. Three times in verses 25 through 33, the husband is told to love his wife. Back in verse 25, it was, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Here in verse 28, it is husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. So not only are we to love our wives as Christ loved the church, but we're to love them as we love ourselves. All right, guys. How convicting is that? Which one of us does not love ourselves? 
we pamper ourselves, we groom ourselves, we nourish ourselves, we amuse ourselves, we entertain ourselves, we exercise ourselves. And every time we go by a mirror, we look at ourselves. If we paid as much attention to our wives as we paid attention to ourselves, my, wouldn't they feel loved? That's exactly what Paul is saying here. We ought to love our wives in the same way and to the same degree that we love ourselves. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 28. He who loves his own wife loves himself. He who loves his own wife in this way loves himself. What is Paul saying? Ever heard the saying, a happy wife makes a happy life? Ever heard the saying, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? I don't want to put words in Paul's mouth, but I think that's just about what he's saying. A man who loves his wife loves himself because, folks, it works to his benefit. If you want a happy life because you've got a happy wife, then love that wife and make sure she knows she's loved and feels that she's loved. Another contemporary saying is what goes around comes around. If you send Christ-like love around your wife, then guess what? That love's going to come back around to you. I said in, in the previous sermon that according to the Bible, the husband is to be the initiator of love in the home. He's to be the source of it, the one who generates it. And the wife then is to respond to the love that she receives from her husband. It fits perfectly, doesn't it? You love your wife, what happens? She loves you back in return. So, he who loves himself, he who wants what's best for himself, takes the biblical pattern and loves his wife Then Paul goes on to to say in verse 29, giving us more detail. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. That's why I was saying earlier, you know, we, we, we cherish ourselves, don't we, God? We uh, nourish ourselves. We take care of ourselves. You know, I check the mirror. Sometimes people help me check myself. Straighten my tie. Somebody told me today, you need a tie clip. Your tie's flipped over. My wife pulls my collar down over my tie when it's showing. What good friends are for. Yeah, we, we're concerned about ourselves. We nourish ourselves. We cherish ourselves. We take care of ourselves. We want to make a good presentation to others. What Paul say? Look, 
Love your wife like you love yourself. You nourish yourself, take care of yourself, make sure that you're in good order. You do the same for her. This is not just a, a motivated by personal selfishness. It's not just a, a way to give love so you can get love. Now again, Paul gives us the pattern of Jesus that we're to follow. You see, that's again the way Jesus loves the church. What he says in verse 29. You're to nourish it and cherish it just as Christ also does the church. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. And he goes on to explain why. It's because we are members of His body. I want you to hold on to that little phrase in verse 30 because we are members of His body. We move on to the second point. A spirit-filled husband is committed to his wife just as Christ is committed to the church. Let me say probably the most important thing I'm going to say all morning. And that is that marriage is all about commitment. Let me say it one more time. Marriage is all about commitment. People want to say, well, it's all about love. No, it's not. No, it's not. Marriage is about commitment. Because after all, what is love? Love's not a feeling. Love's not an emotion. Love's an action. And and the primary action driven by love is that of commitment. I tell you often, as your pastor, I tell you I love you. Oh no, you heard me say that. I love you. What does that mean? What well, doesn't mean I get a thrill up and down my spine every time I think of you. Doesn't mean I, I'm overwhelmed by emotion every time I see you. That means I'm committed to you. It means I'm committed to you as your past. You see, in marriage, two people make a lifelong commitment to each other. Feelings of love come and go. I didn't say they may come and go. Feelings of love come and go. Good times and bad enter every home. Disappointment. Hurt feelings. Unfulfilled expectation. Are a part of every relationship. The one thing that a married couple has is the commitment they made to each other. And sometimes that is all they have. In the deepest, darkest times of life, when the feelings of love are gone, when the tension has built, when the children have just about taken you to your wit's end, sometimes, the only thing you have left is this commitment you made to each other. And to make the point, in verse 31, Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from Genesis 2, verse 24. We find it here. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Paul takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. 
where marriage was established and ordained by God in the garden there. And marriage, is, of course, is what we call a creation ordinance. It was established at the time of creation. And therefore, the implication, application of marriage applies to all people everywhere. You know, when God gave these words to Adam and Eve, it was based upon the deep unity that there was between the two of them, between Adam and Eve. And I want you to follow me just a moment. We're talking about the unity between Adam and Eve. Because when God brought Eve to Adam, his first reaction was to say this. She is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. How much more graphically could God through Adam have described the unity of the husband and the wife? She's bone of my bone. She is flesh of my flesh. She is part of me. It was right after that. Right after Adam said that, God said, for this reason, because of that essential unity between the husband and the wife, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You see, here in Ephesians 5, I want you to notice, where does Paul bring in this quotation from Genesis 2.24? It's right after Paul says of Christ and the church, because we are members of of his body. You see, it's right after talking about the essential unity of Christ and the church that he quotes from Genesis 2.24. It was right after Adam described the essential unity of the husband and wife that God originally gave that message in Genesis 2.24. You see, that's what we find here in this whole passage is that the that Paul is using the illustration of Christ and the church to describe the marriage relationship. A wife is to submit to her husband just as the church submits to Christ. The husband is to love his wife just as Christ loved the church. And there's this essential unity between Christ and the church and between, in a similar way, between a husband and his wife. It is for this reason the Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. That word joined there in verse 31, it's cleave in the Genesis passage, means something, it describes something glued or, or cemented together. It reflects a binding obligation, a permanent relationship. And it shows that this deep level of commitment that a husband is to have to his wife and the wife in turn is to have to her husband. We have so diminished that. Even in many churches, we've so diminished that. But this is a sense of Commitment and binding obligation 
is essential. It was God's design. It is God's plan. And we see that spelled out even further that in what the text describes as the husband and wife becoming one flesh. To me, it's this picture of two vines growing separately. You've seen them. And then they, then they meet. And then they begin to grow together. And they wrap around each other. And then you've seen vines that literally grow into each other. Where there's no longer two vines, but now it's one vine. That's, that's the picture to me. When the Bible says the two shall become one flesh, they become like they are a unit of each other. You hurt one, you hurt the other. You insult one, you insult the other. You praise one, you praise the other. You do something good for one, you do something good for the other. It's because they are so closely joined together, they become one flesh. You know, Jesus built on that himself. You go to Matthew chapter 19. Verses 4 through 6, he says this. It's in red letter in my Bible. And Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he created them from the beginning? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and for this and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so there's this essential unity between the husband and the wife. And it's as though Jesus says, Woe to be to anyone who would separate them. Now, this is all a mystery, isn't it? So this, is, this is a great mystery. It's what Paul admits in verse 32. This mystery is great, he says. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. You see, the reason he illustrates marriage with Christ and the church is so we would understand it better. It's a mystery. But I'm telling you of Christ and the church so that you can help, so I can help you understand it better. What does it mean for the husband and wife to be one flesh? It's similar to the church being one body with Christ, a part of his body. Then there's a third thing. And that is a spirit-filled husband lives with his wife in a healthy biblical relationship. A healthy biblical relationship. What do I mean by that? What is a healthy biblical relationship? I think Paul describes it in verse 33. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That's really kind of a summary of the whole section, isn't it? If you're to boil down what we find in verses 22 through 32, I think it's summarized in what we find in verse 33. There's a book on marriage by Emerson Eggert that I use quite often. And the title of the book is Love and Respect. And the subtitle is this, 
the love she most desires and the respect he desperately needs. The love she most desires and the respect he desperately needs. That whole book is built off this one verse where those two driving needs of the husband and the wife are defined. Each individual among you is to love his wife and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Again, this is the third time since verse 25 the husband is told to love his wife. And that word respect here reflects what he said earlier about submission. Now, the point of that book, Love and Respect, is that women want to know, above all else, that they are loved. They want to feel secure in the love of their husband. And they don't want just to hear it. They want to see it. They want to experience it. They want tangible evidence of it. And that's the very place, isn't it? Where most of us men fail the most. We assume that her eyes just hear me say it. And if I just say it enough, then they'll believe it. If I just repeat those three words, I love you, over and over again, often and often enough, maybe she'll get the idea that I do. No, she won't. No, she won't. Because generally, guys, all the time we're telling them with our mouths, we love them. We're showing them by what we do that we really don't. Many times our actions contradict our words. And it is true that actions speak louder than words. I will guarantee what your wife wants from you more than to hear you say, I love you is for you to do something in a practical way to show her that you do. Women desire closeness and openness and understanding and a listening ear. They want you to be to open up. They, they want you to tell them what's on your mind. They want you to tell them you're sorry when you mess up. Like I had to tell my wife yesterday I was sorry. I have to do that every day. To know that you're committed to her regardless. Do you hear that? Committed to her regardless. And for you to cherish her as a special treasure and possession. The other point of the book is that men need to have respect. For guys, it's kind of the ego thing, isn't it? We, we, we need people to look up to us. We need people to admire us. We need people to think well of us. We need our, our work and our achievements to be appreciated. We need our desire to protect and provide, to be acknowledged. We need our need for a companion in our activities to be shared. But it turns out to be a vicious cycle, doesn't it? 
when the wife doesn't get the love that she wants, she reacts. When the husband doesn't get the respect he needs, he reacts. And usually it's in a negative way. And many times it ends up being a downward spiral from which it is difficult to escape. When marital difficulty comes into the relationship, many times our first reaction is to point to our spouse and to identify something they did or they said to cause it. Isn't that true? When our first reaction ought to be to look in our own spiritual mirror and guys, we ought to say, what did I do? Not to show love to my wife. What did I just do that did not show love to my wife that caused her to react in the way that she did? Wives, you ought to ask yourselves, did I just disrespect my husband? Did I just say something or do something that was disrespectful toward him that caused him to react in that way? Now, I'm not taking responsibility away from either party for the way they reacted. I'm just saying sometimes we need to step back and look and say, what did I do? How did I fail to show love to my wife? How did I fail to respect my husband in that particular situation? So many times we want to blame our spouse for what we actually caused. Now before we close, I want you to see the exclusiveness of the nature of this exhortation, especially to the husband. Where it says twice, actually. Verse 28, So husbands ought also to love their own wives. Verse 33, Each individual among you also is to love his own wife. We saw earlier that in verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Marriage is between one man, one woman. Each is to be committed to each other in this healthy, biblical relationship that the text describes. We can't do it on our own. This is beyond our natural abilities. That's why I believe where it's put in the text is crucial. It's right after verse 18 of chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit. Paul is describing here how a Spirit-filled wife relates to her husband. How a Spirit-filled husband relates to his wife. We can't do it in the flesh. I can't do it in the flesh. We can only do it in the power of with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, He said, I'll ask the Father, and He will send you another helper. We've talked about that before, but I want you to think about that as I conclude this morning. The Holy Spirit was sent by the Father at the request of Jesus to be your helper. He's here to help you. To help you live a life that pleases God to help you resist temptation, to help you turn from sin, to help you show the fruit of repentance. And yes, 
the Holy Spirit was to help you wives submit to your husbands in a godly way and to help us husbands love our wives as Christ loved the church. You can't do it alone. You can only do it in the power and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so God help each one of us do what we can to follow the truth of His Word, relying upon His grace every day to be the people, to be the families He's called us to be, to bring Him glory and praise through it. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Sometimes it's hard because it convicts us of our sin. Father, I pray for grace for each one of us. I pray for the women here today that you give them the good grace to be the women you call them to be, the wives you expect them to be. And I pray the same for us men, that you give us the grace to be the men you called us to be, the husbands you expect us to be. The glory and the praise of your name, we ask it. Amen.